Hi, welcome back to The K-Hole. I'm Mary Kay. And joining me this week is uh, someone who, who I've been a fan of for a very long time online. Uh, wow, multi-hyphenate artist, musician, um, Twitter maestro. Uh, you may know him from the Bird website as Leon. Uh, but his name is Leon Chang, and he's here today in the K-Hole. Hey, Mary, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. How are you? Good, good. It's it's always funny when people uh, are introducing me, because I, I never know what, I guess, like, my main thing is. But I guess, yeah. it's pro- I, honestly, it's probably just posting. Like, that's probably where people first recognize me. But I guess I've branched out since then. But yeah. How do you feel about that when someone <laughs> says, has anyone ever come up to you in person and said, oh, I love your Twitter? It's it's really funny. The, um, there's a coffee shop I, I, I go to that's near my house. And I think about six months ago, the guy behind the counter just did a double take. I was like, hey, are you, are you Leon? And I was like, yes, that's me. But I didn't know how to respond to it because I didn't <laughs> know how he knew me. Mm-hmm. And then he was just like, oh, yeah, I just like I love your Twitter account. It was a bit weird also because like usually I don't show my face. Yeah. So that was my second question to him was like, how do you how do you know who I am? And then I guess he must have followed my Instagram or something. I don't know. It's a bit weird. Yeah. No, that is that is strange. I would start to he wonder. Gives me, he gives me free coffee sometimes now, so that's good. Okay. So you've stopped asking questions about it. <laughs> exactly. He's bought you off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Twitter is how I first uh, came across you as well. And um, that was, God, I don't even remember how long ago that was. I mean... That's probably a couple, probably a couple of years ago, at least. When, when did you get on Twitter? When did I get on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, so actually, so the funny thing was, um, how I started on Twitter was back in... So I graduated college in 2008 long, long time ago. Mm. And we took a, a couple of friends and I took a road trip up to Montreal. And um, at the end of college, like right after graduation, and during the entire time, we had this little notebook that we all wrote in, just random thoughts that we had. Mm. Um, just like little quotes, what things that we thought were funny, just things people were saying. Uh, we ended up, you know, getting pretty wasted in Montreal on various substances and, and that notebook just sprawled out to like this crazy sort of madman's writings. And then when we came back, I was like, okay, I kind of want to keep this energy going. What can we do that? Like after we graduate to continue this and I looked up, Oh, there's this site called Twitter that you can write short things. That's exactly like we did. We had like analog Twitter in 2008 that we were mm. writing. I, I emailed everyone from like my first Gmail address. I was like, Hey, you guys should check this site out. It's called Twitter. And I joined in 2009 and then I didn't use it for like two years. And then I logged back on and that's, I guess like that's when it all started really. Wow. That's, it's been going for over a decade. Yeah. It's, I can't believe it's, it's been, I've been over 10 years on this, on this stupid site, but yeah. It's, it's been about 10 years for me as well. So, um, right. The early 2010s is sort of the heyday of what became known as weird Twitter. And I don't know if there's been a history written on that subject yet, but it's, 
I think for people who weren't around on Twitter back then and sort of only know it today, it's a much different place. And I think what was weird Twitter sort of, I think, became subsumed into the DNA of the entire website, much in the same way that like the kind of meme culture that came out of 4chan has basically suffused into the entire internet. But it was a very different place back then. Yeah, it. I think everything was a. Uh, it wasn't as big as it is now. Obviously, it feels it feels right. like now that everyone's on Twitter. But back then, there was basically uh, celebrities as one sort of sector, and then just a bunch of nobodies. Basically, mm. you know, like you had a big division between like your. And I guess there were a lot of bunch of tech people, but we can always kind of ignore that section because that's a pretty boring section of Twitter. I think and always has been, but. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely like a much different feeling. It, I sort of, in my mind, it's sort of akin to like early form culture. That's obviously where a lot of you know the people I am friends with from Twitter came from. But mm. it feels more like you know like a small subform or a specific form on on the internet as opposed to like now where um, everybody is in some way you know on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. It was, I think about the old internet as somewhere you could go. And even I think in the early 2010s, it was still sort of that. But it's the internet isn't really any somewhere you go anymore. It's just another layer of reality that you access through your phone. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's absolutely true. It's, it's 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 probably the same with other other media as well. But but the internet has just basically become. I mean, the infrastructure of it has changed. Where you know, um, it used to be, you know, people posting on whatever random forums and sites that that you could find. Like the biggest forums back in what two thousand four to two thousand ten were like something awful, um, like Game Facts. Like there was a poker forum that was really big. Like not like you know, social media platforms. It was just a forum for people's interests. Right. That's what was big back then. And now you basically have everyone instead of these sort of localized communities, everyone's just shoved into the same four websites, uh, and it's completely changed. I, it feels like it was inevitable, to be honest. I mean, looking back, yeah. I mean, it, it seems almost crazy that that was ever allowed to exist that that there were just these like autonomous communities that and they'll still exist i mean i think discord servers are the new forums or maybe they're the new irc channels i don't know but people yeah, are still yeah. doing those things but yeah i mean you would you would go online and hang out with people who were into something that you were into were you a big forum poster were you ever on the game faqs forums uh i was not much on the game faq forums actually so my 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 internet history from the beginning i so i started off where did i start off i started off I, it's always been forums so whatever i was interested in uh on the internet i always found a forum to post in and and like get involved in a community there i think one because i like being anonymous in those communities that's not really the case now but back then when you're like 10 years old and you're on the internet, you know, you want to be anonymous and, and, and posting on a forum. So I started off with like Neopets. I posted on a Neopets forum 
or in the Neopets forums for a couple of years in middle school. And then I moved to like, I, I was really into Diablo 2. So then I posted on Diablo 2 forums on Blizzard. Then it was like something awful. So I was posting on something awful for a while. Um, then it was even like, Bionicle, BZ Power, those forums I for a while. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in, in each of these communities, like I got so invested to the point where like I would have like thousands of posts, my post count would be high, and like I would make friends within those communities. And then when my interest like waned, I would just keep on moving on to the next one. Yeah. Um, Do you ever wonder what happened to the people that you used to know on those forums like yeah i i I do wonder uh in particular i think my closest friends were these like random people i met on neopets Uh, this was when i was in middle school and i was still anonymous at that time so like i went by my they knew my real name but they didn't know anything about me these people Mm. and we would uh chat off the forums in like msn uh group chats Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's kind of an embarrassing story, but basically my first um my first like real crush was on someone from the Neopets forum who ended up being I was like what 12 at the time, ended up being a 33-year-old woman from Canada. Literally like the whole wow. meme of like, oh, my girlfriend is from Canada, you don't know her. Um but I had a big crush on her, and this was back in middle school, and then we were all posting within the same group of friends. And then when I found out that she had an actual boyfriend, which was one of the people in our group of friends, like it's her real life boyfriend, I, I, I hacked her account and I took some of her items from Neopets and then I got my account banned. So wow. that was the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Not one of my best moments, but. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, but those are the kinds of youthful indiscretions that. I think we were some of the last people, I think we're about the same age. I think that yeah. we were some of the last people who were allowed to have. Um, because the thing about that kind of story is unless you told someone that story, there's no way anyone would ever know that about you. Right. And right. I think that's rightfully so. I mean, that's something you did as a child that was relatively harmless. Um, maybe kind of, advised and mean-spirited but ultimately not that big a deal and i think now it, it's harder to put those things um not behind you but to to, to be able to be a, an idiot as a teen or yo- a younger person i think that is a luxury that a lot of younger people today like don't have in the same way yeah, it's 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 definitely a big generational divide. I feel like we lived in a time where a large percentage of our time online was anonymous and we were allowed to explore and and you know for good or for better or worse discover, you know, uh, ourselves on the internet. Now it seems I mean, I'm also generalizing here. There are obviously a lot of avenues through like Discord, Mastodon, um, you know, where people can still find these online pseudo-anonymous communities but it doesn't feel like you know um 10 or even you know 10 15 years ago where we would basically be able to just escape into the the online world like now you know 
kids know that they have to have a a, a public facing Instagram account, a public facing Twitter account, a public facing almost like their you know their public facing persona online, as opposed to before all that where you didn't really have that at all. There was no way that like some random kid in Wisconsin is going to have all their shit broadcast to everyone on Twitter because that didn't exist back then. It was like, you might have to get, you might get into some beefs on the forum, but it's really nothing like, you know, it's happening now. And there was no, as far as I, my experience goes, there was no uh, continuity between forums for the most part, maybe between some of the bigger ones where you would know someone, but for the most part, you would be different people in each of these places. So you would be, you know, like dancing Yoshi 75 on the, uh, the dance dance revolution forums, just for instance. Um, and then you would be, you know, um, Android 19 on the, uh, the dragon ball mud. Um, and no one would know that this was all the same person. You're, there was no foundation. There was no structure. It was these little palaces that you were kind of like teleporting from one to the other, as opposed to this huge self-contained space where everyone um, sort of takes turns to walk up onto the stage and have everyone look at them. Yeah, and I... I definitely see the merits of like nowadays people, you know, like with, with online harassment and all that kind of stuff, people would want to try to tamp down on that kind of stuff. But what you're seeing now is like these major tech companies, they want you to be not anonymous. You know, they want you to post on your real name. They want to know everything you do online. I'm mostly just to sell shit to you, but just to sell um, shit to you you mainly. I mean, (laughs) it's hard to sell something to Yoshi dancing Yoshi 75, except maybe, like a really good dance dance revolution home dance pad. Yeah, exactly. That's an easy sell to that user, but <laughs> you don't know anything else about them. You don't know whether they drive a car, whether they like how old they are, where they live. And you need to know these things to be able to sell insurance to them. Speaking of, of different worlds, um, I want to talk about Bird World. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about Bird World. Yeah. Bird World is an album that you released in 2017. Is that correct? Yep. 2017 was the release of the first album. And the second al- album just came out uh, in December. I think this will be up in the first week of January. So, uh, so it just came out last month return to bird world uh this is first of all it's just a very cool project and i mean the music itself is is wonderful but i think there's something that captures people's imaginations here like i think you've really hit on something which is this idea of a soundtrack and materials for a game that doesn't exist what do you think it is about that that really grips people? I think 
what people like resonate with bird world is it it's i mean it's it's no it, i don't think it's any different necessarily than writing a book or or um you know coming up with a a a movie or a play or any sort of other artistic medium in that i'm creating something where i'm sort of letting you fill in the blanks and imagine what this mm. world is like mm-hmm. like when you're reading lord of the rings you're thinking in your head oh what are these elves like what is this world like what is this adventure like you know when you're listening to this album you're thinking oh you know what kind of world is this song about what kind of character is this and i i help a little bit along the way with some like visual um add-ons and and, and some lore like that but really it's 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 like you're reading a book and i don't think I, I don't think a game is any different from that a game um especially an imaginary game sure like an actual game there's you know, obviously the player input and you're and you're uh going through the the motions of playing the video game there's there's that part of it but um you're really giving the listener or the the player a, a chance to to imagine this world in their head um and i think people really like that there's obviously a lot of nostalgia factor here you know this the both albums play off of games that were probably come out you know when we were kids mm. that people connect with you know stuff like final fantasy pokemon um that kind of stuff people look fondly and 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 uh in, the, in their past about those games but um i think the main thing is is that you know people can just really just just get lost in in a a, a world that doesn't exist and that's what people like about it it, it allows them to sort of, I, I get a lot of comments about uh it being sort of like escapist you know it lets mm. people forget about what they're worrying about now or like real life and and lets them sort of just go into this other world for a while and just you know enjoy themselves definitely see that and I mean I think that's true of a lot of you know fantasy stories but I think there's something special about something that references something that doesn't exist it's it's like um, there's this like Calvino like kind of quality or like a Borgia's or something where yeah. it's um, it's like um, referencing an object that has never existed and that will never exist and um, people really respond to that I think um, I actually you know in a, on a much smaller scale um, worked on a, a project years and years ago where it was a function. It was a game. Like it was a game you could actually play, but it was a pretty small game. And for me, mm-hmm. the main part of it was that we made this manual, and I wrote this whole instruction manual in the style of 
these men these NES manuals that would give these like yeah. elaborate backstories to these characters and have these beautiful drawings of these characters that looked like just pixelated blobs on the <laughs> screen. Uh, and that was like a really fun exercise. And I think people respond to that responded to that too in the in the way of like it's almost like you're creating a space for people to like have this shared nostalgia for something that they never experienced or that they did, but this is like a, a, a new kind of like way for them to focus on it or to, to think about it. Right. I guess what, I guess, I guess what I was saying was like, even like one level too shallow in that, like, yes, mm. like, you know, imagining the world of bird world is, is something, but the fact that what I'm actually creating is almost like an alternate reality where this game existed right in the past. That's, that's another sort of layer of experience for these people where, you know, it's not just that, that the, that they're playing this game or, or imagining what this game is like. They're imagining what, you know, if this game had existed, what that world would be like, like, Hey, mm. I played this game as a kid, you know, it doesn't exist, but like, I can imagine myself having right. played this game. Um, here's like the manual for it. Maybe I discovered the CD as an adult in my closet it's been sitting there for 15 years. Here's the game that I remembered. Here's some hazy memories about it, et cetera. Uh, that's sort of, I guess, what makes it unique in that aspect. It's like another layer removed from reality. I guess that's what makes it different from like a, just like a book, you know, or, or an actual game that exists. Right. And that it, it's, it's, it's creating that altered memory for, for these people. I mean, it's almost like, to use the book analog, um, something like The Princess Bride, which is a book about a book yes. that doesn't exist. Um, I, I, all year, I've been thinking about the connection between memory and and music, because obviously, 2020 has been a very strange year, temporarily, for a lot of people. Um, yeah. I think our sense of time has been really compressed and, and and elongated and stretched and confused um and i got really into the city pop genre back in yeah. the first few months of the year and it's so fascinating to to look at that genre i don't know how familiar you are with it but um you know we're talking about japanese pop music from like the 70s and 80s and it evokes this like melancholic quality in people who didn't grow up with it, but yeah. who have this sort of like, they've, they've have all these images that immediately come to their mind when they hear this music. Um, and I think it's kind of the same with something like this of like, Oh, this, yeah, I can picture myself on like a, a summer night playing bird world or like, you know, listening to, to city pop. Um, and I know that's something, you know, that's been the case for a long time, but it's been really interesting to think about that specific genre and, you know, how most Americans were not exposed to that music until, you know, like a few years ago, like Plastic Love blew up in yeah. the mid 2010s or whatever. And yet people have this whole constructed like mythology around it. I think people, I think people in general like to, it, it's sort of this also that it, I think it's it's part of this um, desire with people to like to to have uh, 
that knowledge of like a, or create that layer of like a lore or backstory or, or mm. created world for something. Uh, you, I mean, you see this whenever like anything comes out where like uh, a book or a movie, people want to know more about that world. And I think creating those extra layers sort of gives the feeling of it's weird to say this, but like creating those extra layers of something that's not real gives it a feeling of reality. Right. Um, where, you know, uh, maybe it's layers of like in, uh, nostalgia for an era that people didn't live in, or maybe it's like creating those layers of, of um, a fake game that people didn't play, but it, it creating those layers, like instead of just saying like, you know, this is the game, like you pretend that the game existed, it, it makes it feel everything more real in people's in people's eyes. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there has been a trend too of uh, in, in games of creating something and then claiming at least tongue in cheek that it is a lost prototype or something that it's like a lost NES game um, yeah. or like a, lo- a lost PC game. Um and I think people appreciate that too, but there's something in like the sincere, like, no, we're not pretending that this was real beyond like the, the sort of presentation. Like, I'm not trying to trick you. This is, this is like a, a real thing that never existed. If that makes sense. Yeah. That I'm, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's, I guess it's weird how our brains work, brains work that way to sort of yeah. trick ourselves into, into think of it as real, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I, the, I didn't intend, it's funny cause I didn't definitely didn't intend to do that when yeah. I was coming up with the idea for this, but um, I think you're, you're right in the hitting on like why this might resonate with people because of that. Now I'm curious. Um, I know you're someone who like plays a lot of games and um, is this something where if you, if it were like, you know, within your means or skill set or whatever, that you would want to create a bird world game or do you want to, is it important to you that it stay kind of as what it is? I, that's the inevitable question I always get with the album is like, you know, it would, yeah. would you turn this into a game if you could? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to. But I think if I had the opportunity to make a game, I would not make Bird World right. a game. I'd probably yeah. make something else. That you makes know? sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's that. That's probably the way to go with something like this. And it, you or, know, there's more or, freedom too. Or even make a game that's like someone playing Bird World within the game. Something oh, like that too. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I had it. So I one of my I've I've had a lot of game ideas over over the years as well. Um, I don't have any experience in actually designing games or anything, but um, you know I've always toyed with various ideas. And one of my one of my ideas I wanted to make as a game for like a mobile game that I still think would be kind of interesting, but mm. um, a mobile game where. Your the game is you waking up in the morning and doing all your tasks on your phone when you wake up in bed that you have to do. Uh-huh. So like the game is you waking up in bed and then you're checking your emails, you're checking your Twitter, um, you know, you're looking at videos. It's like tasks like that, but you're playing that game on your phone. And I've always wanted to make that game mm. as like sort of like a yeah, short, maybe like a 10 minute game or something like a narrative type of game. Um but I always thought that would be a very interesting concept for a game. 
Yeah, no, definitely that like, yeah, yeah, that that the kind of like meta task completion yeah. sort of thing. Did you play Moon by any chance? So I, I was actually about to 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 talk about that. I I just played it um a couple months ago when it came out on the Switch. Yeah, I'd never I'd never heard about it before, but then someone someone posted about it when it came out, and um, I really liked it. It's very strange, mm. uh, and it is very like that layer of meta ness to it of you know game within a game. Um, uh, exploring that theme, and I I have liked games like that in the past too. I'm trying to think of like what else is like kind of similar. Um, games are more like not not necessarily less linear, but just like less direct on what the game's purpose is supposed to be. Like a Yume Nikki type of game. Yeah, like a Yume Nikki, or, or you know, I feel like a lot of simulator games. Mm-hmm. Like um, every once in a while, something like this will sort of break out and and everyone knows about it like so something like seaman i think about a lot even though i never played it do you know about yeah. that one i i remember was that the one with the the fish with the man's face Is yeah it? and it yeah, talks that, to you and you talk to it with the microphone yeah that was like um, in, the, in the 90s or something or uh it was an early dreamcast game so oh, i believe right, it was about right. 2001 but yeah. um yeah no but you know that that always fascinates me about the medium too is that play back and forth of like the player and the world um i need to get back to moon because i I launched it or i started it when it finally came out on the switch um Mm -hmm. and then i ran into a problem where i just sort of fell over dead and realized oh this game is from the era where instruction manuals (laughs) were mandatory And you read them to learn how to play. And um, that was kind of wild to me because I couldn't remember the last time that I had played a game where I needed to read this stuff beforehand. But of course, back in the day, you you always did that. Or I and most people I know always did. You would like yeah. read the booklet. If you rented something from Blockbuster or wherever. Um, and you would learn what to do. And Moon is a game that came out in 1997. And you very much have to do that. Um, like, what other games like that have have really drawn you in? I know um, I associate you online with uh, with Yoshi's Island because of yeah. the uh, you know that character. Um, yeah. What is that character's name? So that character is uh, it's called a Huffin Puffin. That's the name. The, I guess the official name from the uh, Mario lore. Mm. Uh, and it's it's people you know at first always ask like what is it like is it a snowman is it a bird it's a, it's a very large bird like puffins are type of bird wearing pants um, right it's wearing pants uh, and it usually this is it usually has like little versions of itself following around mm. so I assume it's like a, a dad or a mom yeah uh, type of character um, I've actually only played through Yoshi's Island a couple of times um, I never actually played it when it first came out but I played it on an emulator a couple of years ago. Uh, still holds up good game um but yeah other games uh, i mean i still have like you know it, nostalgia plays a big part in in a lot of the obviously the music i write and you know a lot of the games yeah. i still look fondly back on um i still have a, a playstation 2 that i play games on um, oh wow uh, just because you, you still know, you play persona 3 on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I only I only that's the first time I played Persona 3 was actually this year. I played it on stream for a while um on the PS2. Um and I really enjoyed it. Um but other 
RPGs from the era uh, I like a lot as well. I mean, you know, Final Fantasy, 7, 8, and 9, Star Ocean series, uh, Xenogears, Legend of Mana, Chrono Cross, that kind of stuff. Uh, mm. That PS1, PS2 era really had a lot of meaning to me when it came to games. And I think part of that is also just because RPGs in general were such a good way to just create a world that you can escape into. Uh, the fact that you would play these games for 100 plus hours meant you really got invested in whatever world was created there. big turning point in a lot of ways for games just in terms of scope um, of what people were able to include uh, and obviously you know the move to CDs brought the ability to have orchestral music or, or higher quality music than you could get on um, on a cartridge or on a, on a chip and um yeah, I mean, that was sort of the move, I think uh, the biggest move away from like the arcade to like a story that you're, or like a world that you're experiencing. And one of the, um, one of the higher ups at Nintendo famously had this quote about the Nintendo, the Nintendo 64 uh, saying that the reason why it didn't do as well in Japan as the PlayStation is because people wanted to sit at their home and play depressing games on their own <laughs> and not play games together with other people, which I think yeah. is maybe a little reductive, but is funny to think about. Yeah, I mean, with games, there's the, there is that big divide between games you're playing with other people and games that you are playing, sort of getting immersed, immersed uh, on your own in. But I mean, for me, actually, those games that I played, like the RPGs back in the day, I always played with a friend, now mm. that I think about it. It was always like me and my best friend uh, playing together and, and, yeah. and passing the controller back and forth and uh, exploring that world together. So it's not necessarily that it has to be like a, a solid two type of thing. but Right. Yeah. You know. And that's something I will say is positive <laughs> about today's <laughs> internet is that you can do that even if you don't have someone in the room with you and because... That's really my favorite use of streaming is yeah. playing a game and having people either having a friend sit in on a call with me or just having the chat, like, you know, help me out. But 
it kind of recreates that experience, um, which I think was missing for a long time during that period where online games were really big, but streaming wasn't really a thing yet. Yeah, I, I think there's also a couple of different layers to that as well. Like mm. I, I'm thinking about like my experience this year with gaming and you know not being able to see friends in person really. Um, games with like a close group of friends has really replaced that. Right. And it, it kind of has before too. Like I was actually talking about this with a couple of friends last year when we tr- we were trying to play Fortnite. Like we 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 started to play Fortnite for a bit and I realized that what maybe like 20 years ago would be like a group phone call with friends or hanging out mm. at the park turned into me and my friends playing Fortnite together and just chatting. We we talk about our lives while yeah. playing Fortnite, we'd be like, hey, how's your week going? What's up? How's the job? Et cetera. Fortnite would just sort of add, add, act as a medium, as like the phone call that we were all on. Yeah. And I think this year, everyone sort of experienced that as well. You know, obviously people are doing Zoom calls and shit like that, but, you know, people are playing video games more and more with friends this year. And that's just another way of socializing. That's another way of passing the time and getting to know each other better. The game sort of just acts as a medium for that. Yeah, I think that's an underrated use of games is like that facilitative use. Um, I think about, I mean, I've, I've done, you know, the same kind of thing online, but I also think about times in my life when I've played, you know, like a Mario Kart or something with friends yeah. in person and just, you know, had conversations that we probably wouldn't have if we were just like looking at each other across the table. Right. Um and there is something about that, about just like play, just providing a place. I mean, it's in the same way, it's it's kind of like, you know, going to a basketball court and just like shooting hoops, like not playing yeah. an organized game, but using the space as just sort of an activity. Um, and it's also kind of funny now that, that I think about this too, how like which games I've selected for like different people in my life to play with. Like oh, when yeah. I talk to my sister, we're usually playing Mario Kart or Overcooked. Mm. And that's like our game of choice when we're like talking and playing. Yeah. And then with some other friends, it might be like Valorant or Overwatch or something, you know? Right, or it's right. A, it, it, we, I've sort of like grouped the people I know in my life kind of by which games we play together now this year. Huh. As opposed to before when like I'd probably like hang out with my sister in real life, we'd get dinner or something. Yeah. Now it's much more like, okay, I play Mario Kart with my sister, I play Valorant with these friends from college, etc. I play uh you know, I stream for these online friends, etc. Mm. Like there's sort of these like different sections, I don't know, that move around like that. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I know what you mean, and it's funny. Yeah, sometimes the the game can become less. You know, the the particulars of like what's happening in the game are like less important than like the mood that it's creating or like the how much space it's giving you uh, to communicate about other things. Yeah. Um. And I think you know, there's room there's wiggle room even in the same game. Like I think about a game like Fortnite, which uh, I just started playing and, you know, when uh, my friend and coworker Nikki and I play that, 
we usually just end up bullshitting so much that we don't even notice when the the ring is the storm is coming (laughs) yeah and then we end up just dying to that but it's like it doesn't really matter (laughs) because we're having a good time and we're yeah um and we're just kind of hanging out whereas other people i know are taking it really seriously and um you know it's only you know they're only having fun if they're winning which isn't you know necessarily wrong or bad it's just a different way of using the same game I think that's why it helps. Like with our group, my group of friends, we're really bad at those games, but we really enjoy them. <laughs> like we're we're terrible. Like I'm terrible at Fortnite. I'm awful. Like you know, there's a twelve year old oh, me killing me every every game, and I, I know he's got like insane aim and building skills. But you know, when me and my friends are playing, we're just like, you know, we know we're bad. We're just having fun. You know, it's it's it's. I think that's an underrated aspect of games. Um, being bad at a game can be extremely fun. I love you know I love being bad at a game. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is something there too about, I think maybe there's something about those games where, you know, the games where it's tons of people and they all drop in and you're all battling each other, like battle royale games like that or fall guys or whatever. I think part of the beauty of those games is that they make space for, just the fun of losing spectacularly. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're playing Fortnite and someone shoots you and blows you up and they, they get close to you and then you see it's, you know, Shrek or something, and they're, <laughs> they're doing like a dance from like a, a real music video with this yeah. song playing. It's like, how can I take this seriously? Like, this is just a profoundly absurd funny experience and like uh i understand that you know some i don't like losing often in some games but in things like that it's just like it's just like how could i do anything but laugh you know right right yeah i I think you know there's obviously this push for like competitive gaming and people you know want to be really good and be the best of that kind of stuff but it it's it's a game you could i mean most of these games you can enjoy even when you're losing, like if not even more. And I think most of the time it comes down to also just, uh, it's not, it's about the community aspect of it. It's about playing with your friends, about finding that joy in it. Yeah. And I think even games like, like Fortnite have grabbed onto this idea of creating a mood or like a feeling like, you know, like a bird world or something in that, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can just get in a car with your main dude and drive around and just blast music. And like, that's a profoundly fun experience with powerful vibes. And, um, you know, it has nothing to do with being good at the game or, or, or winning or anything. It's just, uh, this little, you know, it's like a little virtual world, um, that just feels sort of like, a more fully featured version of the kinds of spaces that I would uh, play around in when I was a kid online. Yeah. I, I think this is why also, I mean, you, when you're thinking about games, you're, you're not necessarily thinking about like, sure, you could strip down Fortnite to its essential components. You can make the game literally just polygons of like walls and stairs mm. and guns. But what people really enjoy is like 
all the little things like get added on, you know, like yeah. the, your, your character skins, your your the animations, the sounds, you know, like the sound of dropping from the ship, you know, that the little sound effect, like that's the stuff people remember from these games. It's not necessarily like, oh, this competitive aspect of it, you know, it's all those little things that are added onto the game to make it a game, you know. That's what I think people really like. And I guess the analogy there to like Bird World is like, you know, it's like these little things that I add to the album or the music or um, that mm. aren't necessary to it, you know? Yeah. Um, like I didn't need to to make a CD. I didn't need to make a little manual. Right. I didn't need to make these little characters. I could have just put out the songs and that's, you know, the, the purpose of it. But these little things like give it that extra flair that, that you know, it's like, cooking a dish with spices or something you know as opposed mm. to just serving you plain chicken <laughs> <laughs> right i mean the chicken is uh it, it's nutritional and it's it's it gives you energy that you need but it's all these other these other things that give it flavor i don't know i haven't eaten chicken in a very right, long or, time. Or, or it's like or it's like just eating soylent versus food e- <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you, you know it's it's uh you need these like little touches um like there's fishing in Fortnite now and fishing to me is the quintessential thing that you put in a game to just add more depth to the world like this just you know this is a world where people go on great adventures and slay dragons and and fight dark lords also they fish yeah also sometimes they just catch a whopper and then they they get a a new a bottle because they caught such a great fish um which is is perfect i think um yeah i, I think actually, i really like that a lot i think the every game should have some sort of fishing mini game within it oh absolutely it's, it's sort of like the perfect game in that it it forces you to sit still for a while probably mm. in the game and just yeah. pretend that you're in that world you know like right. why would your character be fishing you know yes maybe you get some items out of it or something but you know, it is a a distraction that makes you feel like, oh, I'm actually in a real world, not in necessarily a game. Like this is something for me to do that's not necessarily the game's purpose. Right. It's yeah. The Dark Lord can wait, you know, <laughs> half an hour. I'm gonna fish. Yeah. Um, I like that. That is it's it is because it's something, you know, there's other things that there's other kinds of mini games that you could put in a game that would serve a similar kind of function but yeah i never really thought about it that way as fishing is something where like oh no you're not moving your character is just going to stand there and you're going to hold a fishing rod and maybe waggle it a little bit and then try and reel in a fish but the most most of what you're doing is just standing there and and just existing yeah just waiting which is funny because i i don't think i'd actually enjoy fishing in real life i feel like oh no (laughs) although in a game yeah I assume what people like about fishing, again, is mostly what we're talking about is, you know, being on a boat with your friends, probably drinking beer and just... um, Just sitting, just just existing. Just vibing, just existing. Um, And again, there are people who are really competitive about fishing and there there is competitive fishing. um, And that's just a different way of organizing the same activity towards a different end.
was a kid, I feel like because, like, you know, I, I watched a lot of movies, I read a lot of books, but I also played a lot of games, and I would have dreams about games, which I think, you know, has probably become much more common as games have become a much more mainstream and popular kind of activity. But mainly, I would have these dreams about uh, games behaving in unexpected ways or um, kind of like acting out. Interesting. You know what I mean? Have you ever had any experience like that? I don't know if I've had necessarily experience about games, like dreams about games acting out. I definitely feel like I do dream in a game-like manner. I don't know if I would necessarily identify. Like, usually when I'm dreaming, the most memorable dreams for me are usually when I'm stressed or anxious about something in real life. I've identified that. That's pretty common, I assume. Yeah. Um, And what that translates to in a dream usually means that I have a task to do in the dream. Mm. Um, And the task might be game-like. It might be like reach this certain point and, you know, rescue this or escape from a room or something. Um, uh, but but usually there's something I have to do in that dream and I can't do it. Like there's obstacles in the way or like I'm moving very slowly, et cetera. And I think that translates pretty obviously to like, hey, you're stressed about this in real life. This is right. what your dream is going to be about. Um, and my mind probably processes that as like a, game thing to do like 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 for me a game is probably like a task Mm. so i I think i experienced that a lot but not necessarily something like a game acting in in strange ways but i guess i mean usually the tasks are very strange you know it's not necessarily something straightforward Mm -hmm. Um, and then like the obstacles can usually be pretty strange but that's main. I think when when I remember most of my dreams, it's usually something like that. Yeah, I think there is something kind of dreamlike about games, which is maybe why they are so easy to dream about. Mm-hmm. Um, just the idea that you are playing in another world—that's, um. You know, I think at their best, that's what dreams are like. For me, they're much more often <laughs> very stressful <laughs> and uh, and uh, absurd. But um, I also feel like games that follow sort of this like dreamlike logic are often my favorites. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean like through the narrative; it can mean through like the play, like. Um, like, can just you give something, me, like what like give me an example of a game like that um think. even something like a katamari where mm. oh yeah you're just you have to roll up everything into a big ball and launch it <laughs> into the sky like that's yeah that's like a dream that's like yeah, you know yeah. um or just when logic just you know I, I even something like yoshi's island i feel like um you know there's a all these little puns and jokes and even how you like defeat some of the enemies too. Like um, there's like that naval piranha and it's just got this big belly button (laughs) Um, and you can defeat it from off the screen. If you uh, throw an egg and hit it before it even comes on and then you don't have to fight the boss. (laughs) Uh, And it's just like these little, you know, just like little quirks 
these little details um, are always really charming to me. You know, you know what game I played this year that that I think is exactly that. I mean, it's pretty cliche, but I played through. Um, so I I downloaded the Super Mario like 3D uh, pack for the Switch, that which was 64 yeah. Sunshine and Galaxy. Right. And I hadn't played Galaxy since it came out on the Wii. Yeah. Back whenever it came out, and I realized playing through Galaxy that it became like a 64 used to be my favorite game just because mm. I had such nostalgia for it. I played through it as a kid, and I still enjoy it. But playing through Galaxy again, I realized this is probably my favorite uh, Mario game now. And I realize now one of the reasons why I really liked it is that dreamlike quality, because the galaxies of the worlds feel mm. like someone took one topic, maybe it's right. food or toys or a desert, etc., and said, I'm going to create a dreamlike world out of that. Yeah. There's, a, there's a world that's like, it's like a child's playroom, except everything is huge. You're, you're moving around on those moving blocks. There's a big toy train going around. It feels mm-hmm. like you're in like a dream. Or like this world that everything around you is like a, a some sort of cookie or cake moving around. You know, it's, it's extremely dreamlike quality for all these worlds. And I think that imagination for the level design was is probably one of the main reasons I like that game so much. Like every every level feels like you're playing through someone's dream. Yeah, you know, a world that's just this spherical ball of water or like the one that's just bees <laughs> and they they yeah. all help out, you know, there's the huge queen bee. Um Yeah, definitely. Um like like I feel like dreams like most of the time, I think of most of the times when I have memorable dreams, it's similar to that, that level design where you take some sort of topic or something that you know you're thinking about or you're worrying about, or some sort of theme, whether it's mm-hmm. bees, whether it's food, whether it's a test you have to take next week or something, and it takes on some sort of outsized importance within that dream or within that level, and everything yeah. is stretched or made focused around that topic. Other things sort of fade away and all you're thinking about is this one thing or topic. Mm. And then all of a sudden the world around you is all bees. It's all cake. It's all cookies, <laughs> you know, and, and that becomes a, your sort of central theme to your dream or level. And I think that's both like what a lot of, a lot of dreams tend to be. There's, there's, there's maybe one, one or two things you can pinpoint as like, Oh, this is the thing I was thinking about. I was concerned about in that dream. And mm-hmm. the same thing with like, these these video game levels in Mario where yes, it's very clearly the 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 B B galaxy has a B theme to it, you know. So I see that sort of parallel there. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um I love a B level. I love a I love a dessert level. That to me is a real classic. Yeah. Of just like a world made out of just like ice cream and cakes and stuff. Because yeah. in reality it would start to get bad pretty quickly but it would, it would melt it would uh it would melt would show up. bugs would get sticky but um in in the dream world of of super mario mario can just jump around on all the wafers and uh do flips and have a great time 
And honestly, Mario himself, like if you encountered him in real life, he would be, he, I mean, he would probably look like a nightmare, but he has some sort of dreamlike qualities about him. I mean, he's like, what, four feet tall. His head is about the third of the, the side of his whole body. His mm. fists and feet are huge. Uh, he's got a massive mustache, like massive eyes. Like I, it, it, I played through Odyssey last year and yeah. the most jarring thing was when you come across New Donk City, which is a seemingly real city with real humans in it not mario type humans not mario and luigi type humans like there are people that are correctly proportioned they wear business suits they carry suitcases and go to work and all of a sudden there is this four foot tall italian plumber that looks like a you know like the baby from from spirited away running around jumping on things like that's for for the residents of that city he must seem like a nightmare but Mm. because they you know live in the the mario universe they accept it and they you know they're cool with it but you know mario himself i think is kind of nightmarish in his qualities yeah i mean you know i think we've all had that dream where we're just a weird little guy running around (laughs) and uh everyone else is normal except us yeah Maybe that's maybe that's a Miyamoto's like that's his he's expressing his his fears is, is that he thinks he's just this weird little guy running around. It's not it's not it's not it's not a happy thing, you know, these games. It's like his terror, you know, he's Mario. Yeah. Everyone else is not. Wow. It's dark. thank you for joining me uh on this episode where can people find bird world and all of your other works online yeah uh my music is on bandcamp that's probably the first place to get it you can buy the physical cd there it's uh l-e-y-a-w-n dot bandcamp.com um it's all it's on all streaming platforms too i mean this day and age you kind of have to be so it's on buy the album though yeah it, should, i calculated buy it, it though I, I cal- the digital price of the album which is nine dollars which i think is not, not, not a bad price that's equivalent to like three thousand plays on spotify it's that's kind of insane. a steal that's yeah. a steal for nine dollars god you're gonna you're gonna love it um you know listen listen to the stuff um is it uh is it cool with you if we use some of uh some of it in this episode for interstitials and stuff yeah or? totally yeah cool. any of well uh if if jordan put those in then you have been hearing those uh for this whole episode so if you like that then go buy the album um yeah well thank you again and uh yeah uh this has been another episode of the k-hole uh, uh the crystalline entity watches over all bye
The K-Hole is a fanbyte.com production, hosted by Merrick K and produced by Jordan Mallow. All of the music heard on today's episode comes from Return to Burden by Leon Chang, available now on Bandcamp for $9 US. You can follow Merrick on Twitter at Merrick K. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at Jordan underscore Mallory. For more information about things that don't exist, video games or otherwise, please visit fanbyte.com slash podcasts.